Thank you so much for being here. So let me offer up a quick word before we really get started. Uh, I did get the text yesterday. Pastor Tim is not here. This is not my outline. I don't think I'll be following it too closely. I will make allusions to it because what he has here, what he has here is is readily seen from the text. It is, it is there and it's in plain sight. So you cannot help walking through Psalm 23 without seeing these things. So I will make allusion to it every once in a while. But we will not be following this in the strictest sense this morning. Uh, rather, what I have titled this sermon is Psalm 23 and the Good Shepherd. And it's in light of what's coming up this Thursday, we often do look at Psalm 23 uh, with a certain lens. And certainly I I, I look forward to this upcoming Thursday. I don't know how you like Thanksgiving food or whether you do or don't, but personally I love it. I love the turkey, I love the ham, I love the dressing, I love... Every casserole under the sun. I'm an equal opportunity eater, and so I will typically eat all that's put in front of me. There's not much of a dish that I will snub. A lot of us, very soon on this Thursday, will eat and eat and eat till our heart's content. We'll be too full for words, and then when we're done with that, we'll go to the dessert table and get more. And so when we read Psalm 23 and we see the landscape of Thanksgiving coming up, we typically read it with the eyes and with the hearts and with the mindset of plenty and being full and being in overabundance. And so let me read Psalm 23 and then I'm going to try to dismantle the overabundant nature that we read this sometimes. Not entirely, but some of the way. Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray for us, and let's dive into the text. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come to you now, and we lift up our time this morning. God, we thank you for this precious psalm that is so often quoted, so often referenced, so often 
seen in our hearts and lives as a peaceful and a wonderful reminder of just who you are. And Father, I pray that we would zero in on these verses and it would help us to appreciate and love you all the more. That Father, by the end of our time this morning, we would see you as great and magnificent and wonderful. That we would see you as our shepherd. That we would see you as our leader, as our keeper, as our feeder. That we would see you as our door, as our great and glorious Lord Almighty. And that, Father, Your praises would be on our lips this morning. That, Father, Your praises would be on our lips as we gather on Thursday for Thanksgiving. And that, Father, Your praise would be on our lips as we go out into our communities, as we go to our jobs with our friends, with our family, wherever we may go, that God, we would be so overcome with the knowledge of who you are and what you have accomplished that we would not be able to help but talk about you. I ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake, amen. So a bit of an aha moment uh, came to me while studying Psalm 23, when we come to it, we walk into the text with very Americanized ideals and visuals. When we walk into Psalm 23, we look at the landscape as if we were looking at the fields and the, the valleys and the lush gardens of America. We don't really have an understanding for shepherds, so we don't know how to look at that. But my intention here is to to take you out of our westernized mindset this morning, and we need to be dropped into the eastern mindset that Psalm 23 was written in. David wrote it. David grew up as a shepherd, obviously. We know the story, or most of us do. He was a shepherd boy from Bethlehem. He was made king over Israel because God anointed him and put him in that position of power. But the visuals of being a shepherd stayed with him all throughout his life, all throughout his reign. And so when we look at the landscape and we look at the shepherding, the occupation, we need to look at it through how David would have seen it. It will help us to understand what he had envisioned when he says it. Now, when we read, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Our minds naturally go to a visual where there are green fields. As far as the eye can see, there is lush grass that's belly deep that the sheep are walking through, that they are grazing in, that the land is plentiful, that the, heart or the, the bounty in front of them is a surplus. That's our idea when we think of He leads me or He 
makes me lie down in green pastures. In Bethlehem, however, it was a bit different for a shepherd there. In Bethlehem, you did have green and lush fields. You had beautiful farmland where the soil had been cultivated, where seeds had been sown, where the land was ripe for a harvest. You did have places like that, but that's not where the sheep went. In fact, if you put sheep on the farmland, you can know without a shadow of a doubt that those sheep would have torn the place up. They would have ripped up the good grass. They would have stomped all over the soil. And so the sheep were not allowed to be on the farmland. Instead, they were sent to graze by the shepherd. They were sent out into a wilderness land that's just on the lower side of Bethlehem. Now in Bethlehem, where the farmland would have been, they get about 28 inches of rain a year, which is a very good rainfall to produce good crops, to be able to get lush grass and those sorts of things. But at the wilderness area where they would send the shepherd and the sheep, because of the the hills and because of the mountains, on the downslope of Judea in that wilderness, which is known as uh, the Midbar Wilderness, they only get five inches of rain. That doesn't cultivate a whole lot. In fact, the scene in which David would have visualized when he wrote this down is much like what you see on the screen. In fact, that's an image of a sheep eating in the green pastures that David might have taken the sheep to. In fact, that area of land, that stretch of land is known to those who live in that area as the green pastures. There's nothing green about that. But you see the sheep down there and you see it grazing. It's eating. And to our eyes, to our minds when we first see it, we look at it and think, what are those? Are those rock-eating sheep? No, they're not rock-eating sheep. Rather, this is what happens. And this will change. It changes the way I read this text, and it will change the way that you see Psalm 23 if you understand it. On the back side, remember, there's only five inches of rain that come a year. And so how can there be anything for them to eat? The reality is, is that there is still humidity in the air. There is a wind that blows through it. And what happens is that humidity and the wind, it blows and it hits some of the rocks on the landscape. That rock will hold, retain some of that moisture. And as it goes down to the ground, as it gets to the soil, in little places around the rocks, if you look closely, you can see it. 
little places around the rocks, green grass will shoot up. Not much. Very little when you're looking at the landscape. But when you get up close, you can see it. And it's there, these little shoots of grass. So why does this change? Why does this change our reading of it? Because when it says... He makes me lie down in green pastures. Instead of seeing a green field, understand that's the visual, but here's the illustration that's going along. You see, those sheep out in the wilderness, they would never survive out there on their own. They don't know where to go. They don't know where to find the grass. They don't understand what's going on. They don't know how the soil... All they see is the landscape. All they see is this desert wilderness land. But the shepherd sees the grass. The shepherd sees where to lead the sheep. The shepherd guides them and takes them. And as this shepherd leads them, The sheep will come to a rock, to a place where there is grass, and the shepherd will lead it to eat there. So what will the sheep do? It does, it does what it's designed to do. It bends over, it eats the grass a mouthful at a time. But it's not enough. So what does it do after that? It has to rely on the shepherd to take it to the next place where it can receive grass, where it can receive food, where it can receive what it needs to grow. Now, in our mindset, so often, we come to this text and we see it as, He makes me lie down in green pastures, and we think of the lush field and we think, what a tremendous and beautiful blessing, but it puts the emphasis on the field and it sometimes shines a light off of the shepherd I'm telling you that what David is doing is he's putting, he's putting a light right on the shepherd. And he's saying, it's not about the green field. It's about the shepherd who leads you where you need to be. It's talking about a reliance upon the Lord. It's not talking about a bounty that you can live in. He makes me lie down in green pastures, perhaps... A good understanding of that is not that it lays down to receive comfort. You can train a lot of animals to lie down. You can't train a sheep to lie down. So it's not that he's saying to a sheep a command and it lies down. No, what we understand this as, that he leads it, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It eats even in the midst of those green pastures until it's full. Until it's, until it's had enough. Until it can rest. Until it can receive comfort. And so when we see Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Make no illusion or thought that it's because the ground is plentiful. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want because the shepherd is is good because the shepherd is leading me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He 
takes me to where I cannot go on my own. I can have rest. I can have comfort because of where the shepherd has taken me. So, we see a landscape often as green and lush. We have to take that out of our minds. But we also have to take the idea of maybe the shepherd being some sort of a high and mighty occupation. We've got to get that removed. I don't know if anyone here does think of a shepherd as high and mighty. But we certainly see shepherds in places that are revered throughout history. Maybe some of you already have Christmas decorations up now. Or maybe you're going to put it up after Thanksgiving. Or maybe you're one of those people who leave them up all year and they become relevant during the month of December. But at every nativity scene, you have Mary and Joseph, you have Christ. And who is at every nativity? A shepherd. Our minds tend to polish the occupation of a shepherd because of those things. We might not think of them as kings or high and mighty, but we often do think of it as a polished occupation. It wasn't. Certainly was not. In fact, a shepherd was a lowly occupation. It was given to the youngest son in the family. Elijah, I'm sorry, that would be you. Those poor sheep. No, I... It was given to the youngest son. And then, when that youngest son would have a brother, and that brother would become of age, the occupation of shepherd would move down to that youngest son. And then, once you had another brother, and that son became of age, the occupation would move down the ladder. It was always the occupation that was for the last son. And if you were the last son, that was your job. That was who you were going to be. There were many shepherds who lived on into old age as shepherds. But it was a filthy job. It was not a desired job. In order to be a shepherd, you had to lead the sheep. You had to be able to walk them through the wilderness to guide them to where they could find food and sustenance. Not only that, you had to keep the sheep. You had to be a comforting presence for them. You had to know them. You had to be intimate with them. You had to have such a relationship with them that when you called for them, They came to you and only to you. It's a remarkable thing. You can look up videos of this on the internet where you'll have a shepherd who has been with his flock of sheep for a long time. And uh, there's one in particular that comes to my mind where he looks up on a hillside and the hill is not visible because of the fog that's up on the hillside. But you hear the sheep up there. You cannot see them, you hear them. They cannot see the shepherd, but they can hear the shepherd. And when the shepherd calls up into the hill, the sheep, quiet, they find where the voice is coming from, 
and you see the entire flock run down the hillside to where their shepherd is. But in order to have that kind of a relationship with sheep, you've got to lie down with them. You've got to smell like sheep. You have to be able to call to the sheep. It's a job that nobody wanted because often you traded a lot of the comforts of your family's home. And not only is it a job that took you out of comfort, but you're also leading some undesirable creatures. Sheep don't smell very good, and they certainly are not the most intelligent of beasts. Now, I want you to understand, and this is relevant as we look to our celebration all next month, that the God who created the universe, the Lord, Yahweh Himself, our Savior, our Redeemer, the One over everything, that is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And when we see the birth of Christ, we see the King of Kings move to the lowliest of occupations. Why? So He can take His sheep and He can lead them. So He can make them lie down in green pastures beside still waters. Another shift comes in Psalm 23 in in verse 4. And I love this. He's been, David's been saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's been talking in first person throughout this whole thing. But then there's this shift in the middle of verse 4. And he goes from talking in first person to second person. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we see a shift here. David looks at his lowly condition. David looks and he sees, I'm the sheep in this illustration. I'm the one who needs a shepherd. I'm the one who needs someone to take me to the next spot so I can be fed. I need someone to come down to my level because I cannot go to theirs. I need someone. I need a shepherd. And then he looks and he says, you are my shepherd, God. You are with me. And it brings me to praise. When I see my estate, when I see where I am, and I look and I see that I need a shepherd, and I look and see it's you, you're my shepherd, you're the one who leads me, you're the one who guides me. Well, your rod and your staff will comfort me. You are my shepherd. You are my Lord. You are my God. And we see the shift go into an attitude of praise. The Lord is my shepherd. 
you, you're my shepherd. Not only does the shepherd lead his sheep, he keeps his sheep. And this is a shepherd who is not far off. For you are with me. He keeps them. He is with them. They are not far from Him because He is there. This is a shepherd who, no matter where you go, no matter what depth you sink into, God is there. Our shepherd is there. And we have to take the focus off of this lush green film. We have to put it on the shepherd because it's Him. You are with me. You are my shepherd. He is near. He can be addressed. It says your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod and a staff, and I shared this with the boys and girls in children's church, a rod and a staff was certainly a weapon that would protect if wolves or predators would come up to the flock. He could take that staff and he could immediately vanquish the enemy or he would die trying. But not only is it a tool, not only is it a way for him to protect, but it is a way for him to care for those sheep. When he sees the sheep coming, when he goes to count them, when he goes to number his sheep and make sure none have gone astray, he stands at the sheep gate and he would put his staff in front of the sheep so they could not go. And he would take and he would lovingly move that staff along the wool of the sheep. And as he does it, he's looking for any cuts, for any bruises, for any area in which this sheep is harmed. Why? Because this shepherd is near to his sheep. He's going to be intimate with his sheep. And he's not only going to protect them, but he's going to comfort them. He's going to heal them. He's going to bring for them something that they cannot do on their own. He is going to be everything they need. That is the shepherd with whom Psalm 23 is talking about. He's always near. In any adversity, the shepherd provides. He feeds. He blesses. He is with us. And we recognize that even in the midst of a wilderness where wolves are often roaming, looking for a flock of sheep that they can just go and they can scatter and they can devour. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I have no fear in the presence of enemies. In fact, I can graze even where enemies might be present. Why? Because the shepherd is with me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We see remarkably, beautifully, this image of the shepherd, an occupation David would have been completely familiar with. And he's saying, God is the great and high shepherd, and I could not... I could not help, but when reading this and when seeing the work of the shepherd 
in the midst of the landscape of the flock, my mind, and I'm sure yours as well, could not help but go to John chapter 10. I invite you to flip to John chapter 10 right now. And in John chapter 10, these are familiar verses. I'm sorry, uh, yes, uh, John chapter 10. We're going to start reading in verse 7. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a iron hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. When we see Psalm 23 when we see the focus is on the shepherd, our focus naturally must go to the shepherd who was sent by God. The good shepherd. Christ alone. And Jesus makes two very remarkable statements in the verses I just read to you. First, Jesus says, I am the door. Second, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, when he says, I am the door, you have to understand that that is a vital role of the shepherd. There was a, there was a, a, a place that was called the sheep gate. A lot of shepherds would lead their flock to a place that was encompassed, an area that had walls around it, so that the sheep could come, they could sleep, They could be protected from predators. The wall was built high so that no animal from the outside could get in. If any thief wanted to try to get into the fold of the sheep, they'd have to climb up, jump in, and they couldn't get the sheep out alive. They would have to kill the sheep and throw it out, which would make a lot of noise. They'd be able to find any thief in there. This sheepfold was an important part of the shepherd. But why was it so important that he says, I am the door? Because there was only one way in and out of the sheepfold. And the shepherd would lead his sheep into the sheepfold. Remember how I said that he would take the staff, he would put it down in front of the sheep, and he would rub it along them to make sure there were no impurities or, or any cuts or any bruises or anything that could lead to their harm. That happened before 
he put them in the sheepfold every night for certain. And as they would come, they would go to the one entrance, the sheep gate, and the shepherd himself would stand at the door. And the shepherd himself would put down his staff and he would not allow that sheep to enter into the fold until he had counted them as a part of his flock, healed them of any imperfections, and then let them enter the rest of the sheepfold. He would keep a count. He would keep a tally. And then, once all the sheep were in the sheepfold, that good shepherd, the one who loved those sheep, the one who could call to them and they would respond and come to him, that shepherd would lay down to sleep in the door. Why? Because that shepherd was the door. Nobody got in unless the shepherd provided a way for them. And nobody got out because the shepherd kept them safe. The shepherd would lie down in the door and he would be there no matter what for those that were in the sheepfold. Christ is our door. But not only that, he says, I am the good shepherd. And this is what he says. And these are synonymous. He says, I am the good shepherd. This is verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You could not be a good shepherd unless you were willing to lead them and take them where they needed to go and you were willing to do that at the risk of your own life. You could not be a good shepherd unless you were willing to lay down and die for the sheep. You could not be a good shepherd unless you were willing to go all the way for them. A hired hand will not do that. He sees the wolf and leaves the sheep, flees. Wolf snatches them and scatters them. The idea of being a good shepherd is tied directly to the willingness to lay down his life. And I would offer to you this who but Christ can we look at and say is our door? and our Good Shepherd. It is through the cross we see Christ humbly glorified as our Shepherd. Now how is that? Because only through His death, burial, and resurrection do we enter into the dwelling place of the Lord. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm sure you know it, I am the way, the truth, and the life No man comes to the Father except through Him. Oh, He is the door. He is the way. Christ is that shepherd. But not only that, only through His death, burial, and resurrection do we see that our foes, our enemies are defeated. They are trounced to the ground. They are trampled underfoot. They are in defeat. 1 Corinthians 15, 15. O death, where is your victory? O death, 
Where is your sting? The greatest enemy we have is death, and Christ conquered it on the cross. If you need further proof, look three days later, He got up. And because we look at the shepherd who is Christ Jesus our Lord, like David, our shift must move from looking at our condition, from looking at our our estate, from looking at where we are, our focus must be redirected to look at You, our Good Shepherd. I think it is fitting that in order to get to Psalm 23, in order to get there in your Bibles, if you're going to read from Genesis to Revelation, you have to go through Psalm 22. What does Psalm 22 say? Well, verse 1, My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Who uttered the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ. Where did He utter those words? On the cross. Not only that, but when we move just a few verses down, Verse 14, I am poured out like water and my bones out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Where do we see a nail-pierced hand in Scripture? In the arms of Christ. Where do we see nail-pierced feet? At the cross of Christ. Where do we see the garments of one being scattered and divided and cast lots for? At the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, to get to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You go directly through the cross. This morning has been a celebration of the shepherd. Not of the lush field or the provisions that we enjoy. Not at the Thanksgiving table which we We'll sit down to Thursday. This morning, I pray that we have focused our attention on the Shepherd, who is our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And though this world has troubles, and though this world has difficulties, and though we look around the landscape and we say, where can we go? What can we do? We know we have a shepherd who leads us through a wilderness, leads us through green pastures. Why? So that we can lie down in those green pastures, so that we can have rest, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of a landscape that at times doesn't look very promising. The promise is not in the landscape, the promise is in our shepherd. The one who came 
who died, was buried, who three days later rose victorious to life. Let us pray. And we're going to turn our focus and our gaze now to say, now you, God, you are the one that we offer our praises to. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. Oh, we adore you. Our shepherd, our leader, our keeper, the one who feeds us even though we cannot find any of those things on our own. God, You are the joy of our hearts. Jesus, You are the leader for us, the only leader for us. And I pray that our affections like David would turn from looking at where we sit as a nation or where we sit as a family, or where we sit, even looking at the bounty of a meal coming up this week, and instead of focusing on anything where we're at, we would look to our shepherd and we would see you as glorious. And Father, that our worship would reflect that praise. I ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, our good shepherd, and for his sake. Amen.